0: Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's event and volunteer operations coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our One Goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org, or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal to cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. When we get back to our research jobs, we know why we need to do this. At the end of the day, it's always about those patients and changing you know, what we can offer them for cancer treatment. We're all on the same team against cancer here We are better fighting cancer together.
1: Welcome to One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. or a passionate community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research. I'm your host and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an unstoppable community, and it's through research we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners for making all of this possible, the American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the L Brands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santuli. When you're done experiencing this episode, we'd be honored if you could leave a review or share it with family and friends. This really helps extend the impact of this series and helps further our one goal. And now, on to the episode. So we are super excited today to have on the podcast Amik Roy Chowdhury, a sort of legendary uh, doctor scientist all around, amazing human being, works at Ohio State and the James. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here and uh, I'm a big fan of
0: Pelotonia. Uh, so I'm happy to share and, and learn from others and the great experiences that you've all had and given us. So thanks for letting me be here.
1: Awesome. So let's start, um, always like to start with just a little background about where you grew up and and then ultimately, like what led you to study what you pursued in school and, and sort of get where you are today?
0: Well, let's see, how far do we go back? Uh, well, I, I uh, grew up partially in Ohio, uh, went to high school in Hilliard, but I moved around quite a bit before that. So I consider myself an Ohioan and uh uh, my brother uh, is about nine years older than me. It's kind of my inspiration for pursuing medicine. And when I went to Ohio State University as a major in molecular genetics, I uh, learned that going to medical school was very competitive. And so somebody gave me some advice and said you should go do some research to build your resume to be competitive for medical school. And everybody does that. I happened to do that and just sort of got you know stuck. Doing it. I liked it. <laughs> it, w- it wasn't just a resume builder. I-, I did research for three years. I spent my summers doing research. I spent 15, 20 hours a week during the school year. You know, I had a mentor for those three and a half years in molecular genetics. And, and towards the end of that, I-, I-, I went to you know a national meeting of fruit fly genetics researchers. And uh, interesting.
1: A little and geek fest. It was- I would not have guessed there was a, a fruit fly. Yeah. there's like a, a food fly
0: convention going on, tonight, guys. <laughs> Go check it out. Looking back at it, that helped me say, Hey, I'm going to do research uh, in addition to going to medical school. So I'm fortunate for that experience, that mentor who I still know today, he introduced me uh, to uh, a person who ran Ohio State University's combined med school PhD program. And and so I ended up doing combined training, medical school, PhD over eight years. During that time, I, I, I trained in a field called uh, immunology and cancer, trying to harvest the immune system of our own bodies to fight cancer. Interestingly, at that point in time, immunology for cancer treatment was the laughing stock of cancer treatment. Uh, it, it was not having a lot of success. My mentor during that time, uh, was someone who, who obviously has a very uh, dear place in Pelotonia's heart, Mike Caliguri. Yeah, he was my mentor for that MD PhD program for about eight years, and still today. And uh, you know, that's actually how I came to learn about Pelotonia years later, too.
1: Interesting. So I'm always curious because we hear about sort of you know people can pursue the PhD, people can pursue the MD, people can do both. Like, as you look around at colleagues you work with, like, what's the most popular route for people to take? Where are people's interests right now, sort of, as they're coming out of school?
0: When I talk to students today about whether they want to do medical school, a PhD, or both, I I kind of simplify it uh, in two ways. You know, one, you know, a medical school training is sort of this fire hose of knowledge about human physiology but there's not a lot of research. you sort of learn to be a good physician and learn to take care of patients, but you don't learn how to change the standard of care. And a PhD training, in my view, really about learning to solve problems and problems we don't know the answer to. Both are trying to help people and solve problems. Um, The medicine is really about a complex set of problems that you've learned to solve. Whereas a PhD is a little bit more about the problems we don't know how to solve, right? And so, so I can take care of somebody with chest pain versus I can come up with a new treatment for that chest pain from heart attacks. You know, and if you yeah. kind of have a bug and interest in, in both, it works, right? It's a challenging path to do both. But today at our Comprehensive Cancer Center, our luxury is not everybody has to know everything. So it doesn't all have to be in one person, But when you do get different types of training, you get different perspectives.
1: Yeah. So you did your MD, PhD at Ohio State. You did your undergrad at Ohio State. Was there any point where you left to go do a fellowship or further training sort of outside of OSU?
0: So I did spend about six years. I don't like to talk about it, but I went to a place called the school up north and (laughs) I got really good training. And I did my internal medicine and medical oncology. As far as research, though, I got to enter a new field. I trained in the field of genomics from 2006 to 12. Uh, a lot of changes happened in the field and landscape of, of genetics. Uh, my, my opportunity at the School of North was to train with with an expert. Uh, his name is Arul Shanayan in genetics and computer science, and then together. Our idea was to take the most cutting edge genetics tools and not use them for research, but also use them for patient care in real time and so we published a paper uh, in two thousand and eleven uh, about that for the first time, and that's sort of how I came to Ohio State.
1: yeah, so uh I'll say it out loud because I'm a Penn State grad, and I feel like I'm on neutral ground here but uh so when you were at Michigan you know, for those six years, you already had a relationship with Dr. Calagiri. And during that time, Pelotonia is sort of ideated and formed and launched. And first ride happens in 2009. When did you first hear about Pelotonia? Was it prior to coming back to Ohio State?
0: Yeah. So so, uh, Dr. Calagiri happened uh, to be a uh, really popular scientific speaker, and he was invited uh, to the School of North for a seminar and presentation. And And I got to spend a little bit of time with him during that visit. And uh, he told me then in in, in 2010 uh, about this thing called Pelotonia, a grassroots movement, riding your bike, raising money for cancer research. And uh, I said, you know, my parents live in Columbus. I'll come down. (laughs) And and, uh, so so I went out and got a bike and didn't realize how far 40 miles was. (laughs) And I, I probably spent 15 minutes riding. I actually think I got a flat tire,
1: too. <laughs> one 15-minute one, one ride and a flat tire was your one, preparation? One ride,
0: one flat tire. And I was like, I'm good. I'm ready. <laughs> and so I went down for the, for the weekend. Uh, I rode 40 miles. You know, I hadn't ridden a bike in 15, 20 years. I met up with Dr. Calajuri, a couple other faculty at Ohio State. had no idea what I was getting into. But I also didn't have any idea of what I was getting into in terms of the movement and the event and the ride. You know, reflecting on that, I'm a little jealous of the new riders today. That first time being at the event, seeing the people on the ride, um, it's still you know a wonderful feeling and experience. But but looking back at that, that was my first time and really special and really painful. I did the ride and then promptly came home and slept slept it off um, (laughs) for about 16 hours. Uh, But obviously, I've come back for more and more uh, each year. The fact that Pelotonia is fundraising and and bringing dollars for high-risk, high-reward research from a young investigator, a new faculty perspective, that's huge.
1: So you said something earlier, which was... um you know immunology or immuno oncology was a bit of a you know laughing stock of research at the time sort of years back at some point that really began to change i feel like you probably had a bit of a front row seat to watch that evolve and watch the narrative around that change and i'm curious what what some of the things were that really started to happen to sort of change the dynamics of that conversation where immuno has really become you know one of the preeminent topics sort of in uh, the cancer space and ultimately what the launch of the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology at Ohio State sort of meant to you as, as a researcher and somebody so passionate about it.
0: The idea of using the immune system to fight cancer is not old, but it had been challenging to implement. And before 2010, we knew that there, there was a signal, there was, there was opportunity uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we have this treatment called bone marrow transplant, which is essentially using the immune system to fight cancer. And, and, and it involves giving one person's immune system to another. So we know it works. We know that the immune system can reject cancer. But how do we get your own immune system to reject your cancer rather than borrowing somebody else's, right? And in the 1990s, we knew that there was some efficacy because of a treatment called high-dose interleukin-2. And if you gave it in really high doses, about 5 to 10% of those patients with kidney cancer and melanoma had amazing, amazing responses, but only about 5 to 10% of those patients. That was the signal that said, we've got something here. But it was a dangerous therapy. It made people very sick. It could cause heart failure. And it could cause kidney failure. So so we knew that the immune system could do these things. We just didn't have the right therapies and tools to do it safely. So in in the late 1990s, uh, some researchers discovered uh, some checkpoints in the immune system. We called them checkpoints because they sort of are the brakes on the immune system to prevent the immune system from reacting. So with those discoveries, we can manipulate and turn those checkpoints off. In other words, cut the brakes and allow the immune system to fight cancer. And so, around 2010, we saw the you know the the studies of uh, this immune checkpoint therapy for uh, melanoma. and Then we would see it for kidney cancer. Then we would see it for lung cancer. And now you know we have seven different therapies approved for about you know 18 different cancer types. So now more than half of cancer research is really trying to focus on the immune system because when it works, it's very effective. Uh, There are multiple ways to use the immune system. And so with the Pelotonia investment on immunotherapy with the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology, I think that says a lot about where our priorities are and opportunities. So so I'm really happy and excited about uh, the Institute Uh, and its growth, its accomplishments so far, uh, and much more to do.
1: So switching gears a little bit, um, I want to talk about just Pelotonia and your experience. You, you know, I think some of your claim to fame is uh, you go all out on the fundraising side. Just talk a little bit about how some of those things came to life and why they're important to you.
0: Well, we certainly enjoy going out and telling people about the impact of Pelotonia. Uh, relating our research to everybody in our community and fundraising. And you know, having spent six years at the school up north, there was some concern that I didn't have the proper allegiances. And so our first <laughs> priority was to reestablish that. And, and so our, our first fundraising tool uh, was our two goals, beat Michigan, beat cancer. And so it was our play on one goal, beat cancer. And, and so that t shirt has been ever popular. Um, you know, my, 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 my go-to when selling those t-shirts was, Hey, are you a fan of cancer? And are you a fan of Michigan? Cause if you're not, you need this shirt. And, and <laughs> I, I can tell you, I sold a lot of t-shirts doing that. I'm not sure if people were more interested in beating Michigan or beating cancer. Um, but, but I know, okay. around, around here, it's hard to say, uh, which would be more important to
1: some people. So uh, that
0: worked pretty well. And, and again, kind of established our allegiances, and then our Splash uh, Splashatonia is our first year doing that event. Uh, it, it's an evolution of our original uh, water event uh, called Dunkatonia. One of our researchers said, hey, we should do a dunk booth. What do you guys think? No one's ever done that. And, and when people dare me to do stuff, I just go do it. We took a break uh, in 2020. And in 2021, we came back with a new idea. You now, let's, let's just make it a free-for-all, and, you know, get people wet in any way possible. So we've got water balloons, we've got super soakers, and we've got just a bucket of water and ice. The other event uh, that we've had a lot of fun doing for three years is uh, Pelotonia on the farm. So we decided to just reach out to a number of restaurants and, and, and uh, business owners and ask them to donate uh, food and other things uh, for auction you go around try different foods and 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 you know have an experience Each year we'd always have one of our patients who've been part of our clinical trials come talk about what, what they've been through and how they've benefited and you know, at the end of the day it's always about those patients and, and and changing you know what we can offer them for cancer treatment
1: you know you mentioned, sort of the emotions of, of Ride Weekend and Pelotonia in general. I'm curious if there's any moments over, you know, your decade plus of participating that, that stick out.
0: Maybe the funny thing that sticks out is, is, is how I got my bike pump back when you're um, not very emotional, but I, I was riding with people that I probably shouldn't have been riding with. I was out of shape and somebody had a flat tire on the side of the road. And I, I ripped off the pump from my bike and said, "Here you go," and kind of tossed it at them. And then, like six weeks later, somebody from our marketing team brings me a pump, and it's my pump. And I'm like, "Where did you get this?" <laughs> and, and I never told that person my name. I, I don't know their name. I don't know if they saw my jersey or something, huh. or but somehow it got back to me. And I think that's just kind of a you know fun you know kind of karmic thing. You know, like uh, we're all here to help. We're all on the same team. It's a funny story, but it's also about how everyone's there to help one another.
1: You know, one of the more powerful things of the weekend is always just, you know, seeing survivor jerseys, you know, getting passed by a survivor or seeing signs on the side of the road. You know, the famous one that everyone always talks about is the guy who who holds the sign. "Um, Thank you for saving my wife. You know, as you see those things and know that you're putting your life's work and passion into changing the outcomes for people. How does that make you feel?
0: Well, you know, first, I feel rewarded to be able to do research that helps people. And, you know, every day I think about why I do what I do. You know, during Ride Weekend, as you said, there are so many survivors who are part of the event, supporting us, riding in the event, cheering us on. Um, I remember uh, two years back, um, you know, I, I met a young man who was going through treatment uh, for sarcoma, and while getting chemotherapy, he did a hundred miles. I must have finished just a little bit before him, and I was at the finish line at the hundred. And, and and he came in. His friends were there waiting for him, and you uh, just had tears. His, his family had, you know, was there to to, to hug uh, and, and and share in that moment, and. You know, uh, and here is a young cancer patient, survivor, you know, fighting not only for himself, but for others. And, you know, it's just, you know, we're all on the same team against cancer here. And it's just so powerful to see that um, and and inspiring as well. Right. And so when we get back to our research jobs, as opposed to our fundraising efforts, um, we know why we need to do this. We know what's at stake. Uh, We know he's counting on us. We know our patients are counting on us to change the way we look at cancer.
1: Something I think about a lot. And when I have a chance to talk to, you know, you or your colleagues, and um, there's so much going on sort of in the world of cancer research, like what's really exciting to you right now?
0: So right now we're working on three novel genetic findings that can help us treat patients better. Uh, one is for a smart drug uh, that can treat two of these genetic alterations. And one of those is for an immune therapy to help ad- treat patients who have a certain genetic alteration. And, and, and we think each of these is going to you know, lead to, to benefits of, of higher than 50%, meaning more than half of those patients are going to benefit and respond, uh, which for most cancer therapies is, 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 is huge. And, and so uh, I think that's what I'm pretty excited about Uh and again, I, I think in, in some parts of our research and patient community, we sort of think, oh, we know everything, uh, but there's a lot that we haven't discovered. We have a lot more to do, a lot more to solve and, and potentially identify better ways to treat patients with cancer. Um,
1: you know, would love to hear about if there's any particular sort of patients you've had over, over the years. And- You know, one that sticks out and I know has been shared publicly many times is Rhonda Ball and and her story. And what's it mean to you to have relationships like that?
0: So Rhonda has really been an inspiration for our research team. You know, she's happy for us to share this because she knows this can help others. And and so when I met her, she had multiple areas of cancer. We could not tell what kind of cancer it was. Uh, and, And we were running out of options. And she had participated in our research study uh, of genomics, meaning we could look at the genetics of her cancer. And we looked at it more than once. And so on our first look at her genetics, we we didn't notice something that could be helpful. But when we looked again, we found that she had this pattern of many mutations. And that was unusual. And it turns out, if you have lots of mutations, uh, that you might be more susceptible to benefit from immune therapies. And so we were able to study that. We were able to use that to qualify her for a clinical trial. And two years through that trial, her tumors responded. They disappeared. She put her weight back on. She finished the therapy after two years in intravenous treatment of immune therapy. And still today, um, now three years after completing her last treatment, she's cancer-free.
1: That's um, incredible. Somebody
0: who might've been told by her first doctor that she had perhaps six months on average for her type of cancer. And, and that was through research. It was through genetics. It was through computer science and the clinical trial that she was part of helped get this therapy approved. Uh, and it was the first time that a drug was approved for a genetic alteration. She inspired us to study this further. So we developed the diagnostic test. We got a grant from the National Institutes of Health. We published maybe six or seven papers on this topic and continue to do research on this topic. And, and so this combination of genetics and immunotherapy uh, continues to be a theme in our research lab. When we talk about the novel gene we're studying now and trying to write a clinical trial for, uh, we've been working on this for the past six months. I can't tell you how many times I say, this is like Ronda ball guys. And, you know, I may pitch this idea to 10 different drug companies and they may all say no, uh, but we will keep moving forward uh, because we know uh, better than they do what this could mean to someone like Ronda.
1: As you know, as you think about the quote unquote future and, you know, pretty easy to look close to home, you know, at Ohio State and the James and see uh, the Pelotonia Fellowship Program that's really come to life, you know, over the last decade. And how do you approach, you know, mentoring uh, the young students that are just getting into, into research? The
0: Pelotonia Fellowship Program is so special and important for cancer research because it specifically targets our youngest scientists and supports them to go pursue their new ideas. Most grants are for principal investigators, for faculty, and what we call postgraduate or postdoctoral researchers. You don't find support for this youngest generation of scientists. And and they're important because, well, they grow up to become the other ones, right?
1: Right, yeah.
0: So supporting them early is important towards this career path to focus on cancer. Uh, Second, They're not biased by everything the rest of us have thought and and learned, right? So they're going to come up with new ideas to try to look at our problems in a different way. And and that's critical because that's innovation. It's not that you couldn't do that at age 30 or 40 or 50, but it's sort of accelerated by by just by the nature of having a young point of view. So the fellowship program is is just outstanding because there's just really nothing else like it. And and so unique uh, to Pelotonia.
1: Uh, We'll end with sort of a final question, sort of a a simple question for you personally. What does Pelotonia mean to you?
0: Pelotonia means community, and that's you know my personal view and feeling and definition. It's also the real definition (laughs) in a way, right? When you're riding, you know you are more efficient riding together. And that's what Pelotonia is as a team to fight cancer. We are better fighting cancer together.
1: This has been One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. I'm your host, cancer survivor and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team, Gabby Blauert, John Tolbert, and Alita Smith. One Goal is carefully crafted and produced at the studios of Wessler Media. Mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orange Studio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being willing to share their inspiring journeys for this podcast. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe so you can get seasons one and two, as well as future episodes. If you want to learn more about the Pelotonia community and how you can make an impact on cancer research, See the link in the show notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.